You're listening to a Radio 191 FM podcast. Joining us now in the studio is Professor John Crump. Here we're speaking to us about health nationalism in New Zealand during COVID-19. Kia ora, John. Thank you for joining us today. Kia ora, Case. Thanks for having me. I'll start off by asking, how was New Zealand's COVID response at odds with an effective global response? Yeah, I think uh, we've heard a lot of celebration about the success of New Zealand's um, COVID-19 pandemic response from an epidemiologic perspective. You know, we uh, New Zealand um, uh, uh, saved a lot of lives and avoided a lot of illness. Um, but um, the way <coughs> solidarity was, was generated... Um, to fuel the New Zealand response, we think increasingly cast the rest of the world as an outgroup, um, and um, I, I think um, the, con- the sort of bro- broader concern for all people um, was to some extent lost, um, and that uh, has occurred in the context of um, growing nationalism trends in New Zealand overall pre-COVID as well. Mm-hmm. I guess you know put. Put yourself in the issues. What would you have done differently compared to how our government and health systems dealt with COVID and the ways in which it was framed to the public? Yeah, I, I think the first thing to say is, um, uh, you know, the f- the flavour of nationalism that we saw in the New Zealand COVID nineteen response was what we call liberal or civic nationalism, and and is different to the kind of extreme forms of ethno populist nationalism that we perhaps tend to think about when we hear that word. And so liberal or civic nationalism attempts to create um, national solidarity um, that operates above um, religious, cultural, other kinds of differences. And so it is, uh, you know, at first blush, um, uh, you know, it has, has its positives and is an effective tool. But the problem is that it is still rallying people around a national identity and um, a, a consequence of that is, is losing track of our human identity and, and the, what's happening to others in other parts of the world. So I think, um, what could we do differently? I think um, strong appeals to national identity um, are probably unnecessary, and I think some of that could be toned down. I could talk to you a bit about how New Zealand national identity was used, but if you want to think about one example, the team of five million. Um, New Zealand's national identity is heavily founded in our sporting success and our wartime service and that was a slogan taken directly from the Rugby World Cup Mm -hmm. and America's Cup um, competitions which we of course won and so imagining a global health catastrophe as an international competition that we sought to win um, is is problematic. So um, secondly I think um, when we communicate for public health um, purposes, it's important to do that sympathetically and think about and invoke the challenges faced by uh, people outside of uh, this nation um, to create a kind of sense of global human identity and and concern for others. Um, And then finally, it is important to commit expertise and invest resources in the global response prioritising those at greatest need as we might think about within New Zealand um, in terms of equity there's also that same concern for all people and what are we doing uh, not only to make sure we're dealing with inequities within the country but also thinking about who's most affected around the world and what are we what's the nation of New Zealand doing to contribute to that. New Zealand's not had a great track record in contributing um, 
substantially to global responses. I'm happy to talk about that more if you'd like, but uh, it's all it's all happening and within that context. Yeah. I'll pity back off what you mentioned there with the team of five million. How did imagining ourselves as the winners in a global competition invoke an us versus them mentality, and what are some of those consequences of adopting such a mentality? In your article, in there, you mentioned uh, separation, a nationalist imagery, dehumanisation, and decreased global engagement. Yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, ultimately, um, you know, solving a problem like a pandemic. You could, there are plenty of other examples in the non-health arena of problems that affect all of humanity. Um, it's, so, in, 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 uh, framing it as an international competition uh, might again help strengthen a national response. But for problems that transcend national boundaries, like an infectious disease that spreads around the world, at the same time, it's important to uh, promote collaboration and working together to, in problem solving. And of course, at the moment, the pandemic treaty um, being coordinated by the World Health Organization is an example of an attempt to address that. But yeah, um, th- this work happens in the context of um, some work by uh, a PhD student called Emma Anderson, who Dr. Elizabeth uh, Fenton and I are supervising, and she's looked at the New Zealand media over uh, j- just pre- prior to the pandemic through to mid last year, and um, themes that that are identified. Um, in the media during that period include this idea of domestication where the media tended to represent COVID-19 through a predominantly New Zealand lens. Um, Unification, so this idea of um, uh, rhetoric in the context of New Zealand's self-image and we saw a lot of use of the pronouns we and us, so this assumption that we are, you know, we're a group of people and we're distinct from those other people. Um, separation, so um, uh, the, the, the use of language like they or them to refer to people outside New Zealand, and then finally securitization, which is posing a, a health problem as a security threat. So in other words, our primary concern is for protecting our own security and our concern for others um, is diminished by thinking of them as a threat to ourselves. So... Mm-hmm. Um, so um, a lot of the media rhetoric during that period reflected uh, this idea. Yeah, and I, you know, do you think the government's public health response, you know, in that way, was a coordinated and deliberate effort to invoke those national nationalist ideas, or merely a failing of the system to respond effectively to such a large, unprecedented threat? Yeah, I, I think um, I, I, I can't really comment on what was or wasn't deliberate, mm. but it's almost um, inevitable in a West. Failian system that we live in, uh, you know, the world order is organised by states, um, that in times of crisis or emergency, states will appeal to national identity to rally people behind a cause to protect the country, you know, it happens in war, uh, it happens in pandemics, um, and, uh, and, and so I think the, the concern here is more to just flag up that even though New Zealand's response was celebrated, uh, we were uh, we, we did achieve New Zealand achieved what it did in the context of um, uh, of uh, you know appealing to national identity quite strongly, and that does have um, consequences for how we handle global problems in the future, and, and 
and it, to some extent tends to undermine the global response. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I guess the question now becomes, you know, do you believe that post-COVID we are better equipped on a global scale to deal with pandemics and dangerous infectious diseases, or has New Zealand, you know, gone too much of an insular nationalist policy towards managing public health? Yeah, so I, I think New Zealand pro- has provided um, a useful example of what can be achieved um, uh, with uh, disease elimination, um, and uh, I don't want to detract from the value that that offers uh, and the evidence it provides for future responses. Um, but in some ways, New Zealand was u- uniquely positioned to do, do what it did, Um and uh, you know the the timing um, and extent of the initial incursion of the virus into New Zealand, um, the political will to respond, the ability of a small island nation to close its borders, mm. um, the uh, ability you know having a social welfare system that provided a safety net for people to be able to stay at home, um, you know, the, um, and, and so on and so forth, meant that um, we were. Possibly not uniquely positioned, but um, the characteristics, you know, it's a relatively short list of countries with the characteristics able to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot's been said about vaccine nationalism during COVID 19, and we were not, um, you know, like many other high income countries, we um, had pre purchase agreements with enough manufacturers to vaccinate all New Zealanders many times over. But it's interesting that non-pharmaceutical interventions like COVID elimination um, are paradoxically not considered, or people don't tend to consider them as a form of health nationalism, but they are in the sense that, um, they, that, that achieving COVID elimination wasn't equitably practical for all countries uh, because they didn't have the unique set of benefits that New Zealand had at the time. So um, I, I think uh, while New Zealand provides a good model, it's not going to be a model that um, you know in a similar situation in in the future could be applied everywhere and in that sense we need to keep thinking about what we can do globally. A question uh, do you believe that you know since our during that time you know we were all the team of five million who was in New Zealand we were all kind of together as a collective do you think that had an effect on how we viewed our Kiwi our Kiwis that were living abroad at that time and how there was that kind of struggle with getting them back here. Did that? Do you think that had an effect or the two don't intertwine? Yeah, um, it's, it's a good point. Um, so um, I, I think um, the, this kind of theme of securitization, where we started, you hear me saying we, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's very easy to fall into that yeah. pattern. Um, New Zealand saw, um, New Zealanders saw themselves as um, a a group in a privileged uh, situation protected from uh, a lot of risk from the virus and therefore started to view everyone outside New Zealand as um, a threat to that to that idyllic uh, uh, situation that we were in or that, that many New Zealanders were in because uh, admittedly the benefits varied. Um, and I, I think there was probably a hierarchy of how we viewed people outside New Zealand during that time. I think uh, there was a lot of sympathy towards New Zealanders wanting to return home and not being able to, especially if they had family or health needs. Um, and and th- there was, I think, a sense of wanting to prioritise those people above nationals of other countries. Um, but I, th- I think ultimately um, 
New Zealand tended to view the non-New Zealand world as a, an outgroup irrespective of who they were and as a potential threat to the, situ- the, you know, the, the COVID-free situation that New Zealand was in at the time. You mentioned the World Treaty before. What does the strategy for better cohesion between different countries look like when dealing with these issues? How can countries best cooperate on a global scale to effectively tackle public health issues you know, such as pandemics? Yeah, it's a huge challenge and um, I guess it remains to be seen um, the extent to which the pandemic treaty that's currently being uh, that's currently in draft zero and being reviewed um, contributes. I think um, ultimately, you know, the World Health Organization that's coordinating the pandemic treaty process as part of the United Nations, and the name United Nations itself obviously tells us that the world sees itself as a bunch of nations. Yeah. And uh, about the first the first concept that appears in the pandemic treaty. Um, by virtue of the fact that it's a document created by nations uh, through a, an attempt to make a consensus as sovereignty. Um, and of course, um, uh, uh, that's to be expected. That's how the world's organised. Um, but uh, sovereign nations will inevitably prioritise their own citizens over those of others. And so um, there's this kind of paradox that we're trying to work together, but at the same time we've structured the world in a way that that's quite difficult. And so the extent to which um, this consensus building process produces something that might actually help or not really depends on how much countries are willing to um, consider other nations mm. as well as their own interests in the process. And, of course, you can imagine with all, all the nations of the world contributing the, the, the range of perspectives that you might have around sovereignty, for example. And so it's really a challenge. And, um, uh, you know, we, I think we all hope the pandemic treaty will be part of the answer, but it's almost certainly not going to be the full picture. And um, I, th- I think for us as individuals, it probably just behoves us to think about um, nationalism, banal nationalism, the type of nationalism that, that we almost forget exists Mm. um, our identity with a particular country, our inexplicable affinity to people we've never met the millions of people we've never met it's it's almost Um, subconscious, yeah yeah, yeah, a subconscious belief system that's that's possibly the most uh, pervasive subconscious belief system in the world yeah and finally, John, what overall learnings do we take from our COVID response and what, you know, what might we expect to see in future pub, public health initiatives following on from you know, your research? Yeah, th- uh, thanks for the question. It's, um, uh, you know, I think there is a lot of positive to be drawn from the New Zealand response. I hope we've highlighted some of the downsides and how we could avoid those downsides next time. But I think probably the biggest thing is just to take a step back and think about... Uh, health nationalism or nationalism in New Zealand more generally because the COVID response occurred in a, in a broader uh, context um, that New Zealanders might be surprised to know that you know in international surveys based on citizenship and national identity we actually rank among the highest nations in metrics of nationalism even though perhaps New Zealanders don't think about themselves that way and a lot of the ways that we act kind of reflect that so for example um, New Zealand's uh, official development assistance um, in relation to our commitment to uh, of 0.7% of GDP to official development assistance, we com- we actually commit only about 0.28%. Um, and then of that, the proportion that goes to health is not very high. And I could kind of go on and on through a list of um, 
of issues that reflect a, a sense of nationalism and health. Uh, perhaps it behoves us all to think about that and think about whether we could be doing more generally to contribute to the kind of existential problems of all humans while at the same time trying to address those within the country. Once again, John, you know, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come and speak with us today. You know, I thought that was was amazing. So, yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for making the time for for a detailed discussion. Yeah. That was a Radio 191 FM podcast. You can find more of them at r1.co.nz forward slash podcast.